Incoming transmission. The Larson Moorverse word of the day is fracking. These are the voyages of the starship. Actually, let's switch this up a bit. and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise and these episodes of BSG in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. When asked what she can hear, she'll respond, nothing but the rain. But in reality, it's the tears that only come from being an entertainer. It's Christina Rose Yassi! Hi. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm so excited to do this. I, I'm excited to have you on. This is great because, uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll get into it, but uh, let's, okay, right off the bat. Yeah. <clears throat> let's get to my f- first very important question. <clears throat> is that your mom in the Nantucket commercials? <laughs> One would think, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I can absolutely <laughs> see that. <laughs> Exposing all of my deepest secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I, was, I mean, because we're friends, and I, I've yeah, know, yeah, yeah, on Instagram, and I've you know scrolled through. It's like, oh, what's what she got going on in her life? It's awesome. <laughs> people, it's like, oh, this is her family, blah blah blah. And then I'm cruising around on YouTube, and you know, just watching stuff on my lunch break, and you know, an ad pops up, and I'm like, is that generic white woman, Christina's mom? <laughs> <laughs> and when I saw, and when I saw it, it was just kind of like. Uh, probably not. That happens all the time. I see people I think I know. That's 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 ridiculous. Then it happened again and again. Totally. Well, it's ads. funny because while that she is not in that commercial, she used to do commercials for um, like some local businesses. If and and we would work something out where they would do work on our house or whatever, and my mom would do these little commercials for them, and I would have people come up to me all the time and be like, "I saw your mom on television," and I was like, oh, "Okay, like I get it, I get it." Well, she does a wonderful job. She's absolutely <laughs> lovely. Tell her I'm a big fan of her work. I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> uh, but uh, so we know each other from comedy. Yes. Our bond is actually a little bit deeper. So than much that. deeper. <laughs> so much deeper. Tell, God. Tell, tell folks about the first time we met each other. So I had done an open mic at the Comedy Zone in Greenville. Mm-hmm. And I make fun of my alma mater. Uh, which is Bob Jones University. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I walked off stage and I had never met you. And you just came up to me and you said, I also went to Bob Jones. Um, and I just looked at you and I said, are you okay? <laughs> and I think we hugged. And this we did. Was like, when the <laughs> pandemic was like a little, like we were still like a little testy and we both had our masks on, but it was like, no, but like, we're okay. <laughs> and and it's been, it, it's been a bond ever since. 
Yes, yes, that shared trauma. <laughs> oh my gosh. And we also take comedy seriously in a way that other people don't. So I think that that also kind of, because we come at it more true. from a writer standpoint as opposed to just. Yeah, and, I, and I've, I've mentioned this with, I mean, and you know, you've seen that I've had, you know, some of our comedian friends on, uh, qu- yeah. quite a few of them on actually, but you can definitely tell someone's background by how they approach stand-up where stand-up stand-up is such a great uh springboard Mm -hmm. to other avenues of performance but it's also very much a mirror in that it will show it will reveal things about that performer not i mean obviously through the narrative that they tell but like their skill set totally um you approach there aren't a lot of people who do both i've had friends of mine from the theater world who have come to see me do stand-up and they're like i could never in a million years like i need i need my material rehearsed within an inch of its life uh-huh. um, and then you get comedians up there who are like i could never do it if it was scripted so it's it's kind of interesting how i found it and how i've landed in it yeah i love it yeah i mean you can really tell like so and so comes from improv someone mm-hmm. so and so comes from music someone like yourself yes. come you know comes from the world of acting i myself i'm a writer like right we all bring those skills to the table. And I think the real interesting, I mean, cause the performances are good and that's great, but a, a lot of people see a performance and, and, and that's it. What they don't see is the repeated, the repeated performances. Yeah. yeah. And I think the real, I've always said, look, the real interesting thing and the real funny stuff is not happening on stage. It's usually in the green room. Yep. <laughs> that's where all it's the funny stuff books. is. Yeah. And, in t- and in terms of the process of art, I, I feel like that's where the real juicy stuff is too, you know, like yeah, people are tweaking sets of like, Hey, you've got this bit, take a beat between this word and the next. Right. You know? and, the, and, the, and the collaborative effort, you don't see a lot. Like my, I end my set with this divorce song. Um, yeah. And I, like you, you were like, yeah, you owe me some notes and I send it to you. And you're, I mean, I, I give you like partial writing credit on that true, true, true. <laughs> thanks so much Rem- like, remember remember, remember me when you're famous <laughs> i will i will i can do that vice versa uh yeah so uh one of the things that i know about you uh as i mentioned we're friends we're following each other on uh instagram and whatnot yes i saw that you are a big sci-fi fan specifically star wars yes and i I always looked at Star Trek and Star Wars as, hey, I love both. Totally. Very much. I have a, in addition to a lot of Star Trek junk, I have a lot of Star Wars junk as well. (laughs) But when I approach, I know are both. So when I approached you about coming on the show, like, hey, you know, it looks like, you know, you're into sci fi and stuff. And I was like, hey, you want to come on and talk about Star Trek? You said, I was like, I know nothing about Star Trek (laughs) at all. Um, I watched an episode when I was very young, like the old, old, like I think it was on TV land. Um, oh, cause my okay. mom loved Star Trek, the one from the Nantucket commercials. And, um, <laughs> I, it was the episode. I'm not even going to remember it. it. There was this like beautiful woman and then her like face melted off and it was revealed that she was an alien. This, I remember getting up in the middle of the night and going downstairs to my parents and being like, I'm having nightmares about like, so, so Star Trek just like freaked me right out and I was like I'm done I'm out and then I watched the movie like the first movie with Chris Pine okay yeah and I was like oh like okay like I get it but I'm not gonna like you know yeah go to the midnight premiere um so I don't know much about it <laughs> aside well, from I can recognize and I can't do the like you the you know you can't do the Vulcan song. salute no I can do die young and in poverty but I can't do <laughs> Like, it's like not, I can't do it at all. I, I can't. My so, hands are capable. 
I can't do it. So the real trick is to be able to close it and then open the two outside. That I can do. go back and forth. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> We're such dorks. Anyway, <laughs> so you're a big, so you're a big, uh, so you're a big Star Wars fan. Yes. What is it about Star Wars? Do you have an early Star Wars memory or, you know, reason yes. or who introduced you to it or reason you connected with it? My mom actually. And I, I remember I was in a, I was in Anna Green Gables, my very first show in 2004 mm-hmm. and the kids in the dressing room were talking about it. And they're like, you know, have you seen Star Wars? And I was like, no. And we checked out at the library, I think. And it was the original, like it was before they replaced Hayden Christensen, like at the very, in the, in episode, what, yeah. six at the end with the funeral, yeah. um, it was before that. So it was like a, an OG VHS recording. And I remember my brother and I watching it, I was seven or eight and he would have been five. And I like fell in love with Harrison Ford then and there. And also like, growing up, I, my family always had great Danes. And Great Danes sound a lot like Wookiees. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like when I was little, my mom would always say, you know, oh, well, she sounds like the, she sounds like Chewbacca in Star Wars. And, and so I like grew up with this language um, for years before I even saw, like saw Star Trek. Um, oh, and my funny. mother was like convinced that they used uh, a Great Dane um, to voice Chewbacca, but they didn't, they used a whale. And it was like, then episode three came out and I did not see episode three until like three years ago. Like it oh, was like really? a big secret that I kept because <laughs> I could talk about it. I was like, yeah, I, I know about, you know, Order 66 and all of that. Um, but, and, and my brother played the video game. So it was just kind of like, I was, I was homeschooled. I was a huge Star Wars person. Um, didn't realize quite the extent of the fandom until um, I dated someone who was very aware of the extent of the fandom. And I kind uh-huh. of got sucked into that world for a couple of years, uh, which was wonderful because I had so much nostalgia from it. My mom made me a Princess Leia costume when I was 11 for Halloween. I'm like stayed up all night, made it. I had the little, you know, space buns and I was yeah. stuck, you know, I'm going to church trick-or-treating and I kept being stopped because <laughs> people <laughs> wanted to take my picture because I had the little buns and the full costume. So, please tell me there's a picture. There's not, no, I have searched. There was like one picture taken and it is, I mean, other, unless they're from like other people who like total strangers, I cannot, we have gone through all of our family photos. Everything has been turned digital. <laughs> I cannot find photographic evidence. I think I still have the belt, um, <laughs> but there is no, there's no photographic evidence of it. All right, listen, so we're, rec- we're recording on March 28th. This doesn't go up until April 25th. You have a, you have a month. Challenge accepted. To find a picture of and now you. And people to follow me. You can come and see if I found that picture or not. I do, I have a Star Wars tattoo though. I oh, do really? have, what's, what's the Star Wars tattoo? I have BB-8 because um, I figured oh. he's never going to be like racist. Um, and it's not one <laughs> that I'm going to regret. Um, and I did, I like, I, I, I've gone to Star Wars trivia and I can, I, I, I just love it. Like, don't, don't quiz me on it. I probably can speak to it more than I give myself credit. Um, but there's just so much nostalgia. And then when the, when the new ones came out, when I was in college, like they always came out during finals week. And so I would finish my finals and my brother and I would go see them. And I just fell in love with BB-8. I just, I just love that stupid droid so much. And when I was at Star Wars Celebration <laughs> um, in 2019, before the world shut down, I was like, you know what, screw it. Like I'm, I'm, I was 24 at the time. And I was yeah. like, this, you know, I, I got to see the the trailer before anybody else did and, and tattoos to me, like Mark, a, 
time in my life as opposed to having tons of meeting themselves. Right. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to pay way too much money for this quarter sized tattoo of BB-8. Um, and it's like right on my hip. I love it so much. It's my favorite. Mm, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I, uh, no, I completely understand. It's, you know, the fandom thing is such a unique thing to have in that while everybody, especially for something like that's big in pop culture, like Star Wars, Star Trek, yeah. everybody approaches their fandom very differently. And I've yeah. seen that online where it's, you know, some people, hey, I'm super into Star Trek and they want to, and then they'll meet up with other Star Trek nerds. And it's kind of like, okay, let's talk about this episode, this episode, this episode is like, oh, yeah. no, I'm a cosplayer and I cosplay all the crew yeah. and aliens and stuff like that. I don't have any of the books, toys, you know, that sort of thing. Or totally. they're or there's the other people. It's like, oh yeah, well, let's talk about this episode and this episode. And it's like, oh no, I make stuff. I make these enamel pins, and it's all yeah. Star Trek. Or, you know, I'm into, you know, I'm into art, but my art is erotic fan fiction of these of these characters yes. doing yes. things you don't get to see you them know, doing. <laughs> if it exists, um, if it exists, yeah, yeah. But it, <laughs> that's the kind, and that's kind of a fun thing because you'll find that for you'll definitely find it for Star Trek. You will most yeah. definitely find it for Star Wars. And Absolutely. you it, look, if you look hard enough, you'll find it for Battlestar Galactica. So oh, I am sure. What was, I mean, before I forced you a uh, clockwork orange style to sit <laughs> <laughs> with your eyelids held open, <laughs> watch this thing. Were you, was this even on your radar? Did you have any, I mean, cause you mentioned, when did you graduate college? To 2018. Okay, so this was—I mean, this was 2003. The yeah. the, the mini series that we're talking about today. So you would have been, much, much, yeah, much yeah. younger. Was this was this on your radar at all? Were you aware of it at all? I like am going to totally embarrass myself, and you're going to be like, "Why did I ask this girl on my podcast?" I like <laughs> did not know that Battlestar Galactica was legitimate because my only reference to it was Dwight Schrute saying, "Bears beats Battlestar Galactica." Bears do not. What is going on? What are you doing? I've seen that in so many people's Tinder bios. It's not even funny. Um, and I just thought it was like <laughs> something that Dwight Schrute was into. Yeah. that maybe didn't translate um, outside the universe of The Office. Uh, oh boy, was I wrong. Because uh, it took me a hot minute to find the right version of <laughs> Battlestar yeah. Galactica. I was like, Jesus, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit tricky, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and we'll get into all of it a little bit later. But yeah, kind of came about in like the late 1970s. Yeah. And it was this thing that was kind of an answer to Star Wars. And then years later, one of the uh, big prolific uh, creative minds behind Star Trek was also a huge fan of Battlestar Galactica and ended up mm. pick picking this up and helming this thing for yeah. four seasons. And if you talk to a lot of sci-fi nerds who are just kind of nerds of the genre in general, yeah, the staple is that Battlestar Galactica is arguably one of the best sci-fi television show. This version of Battlestar Galactica yeah. is one of the best sci-fi television shows that's ever been made. And I'm, I'm curious if, I mean, and we'll get into the nitty gritty in a minute, but like, yeah. how did you feel about these first two episodes, this mini series introducing us to this new BSG? I, I enjoyed the, the part one. Mm -hmm. way more than I thought I would um like way way more I, I was I was way more into it um than I thought I would be 
it was a lot darker than I was expecting by the end of it. Like I watched it, it was kind of overcast out. And by the end of it, I was like, I have to like go get a donut or something. I am like, I, I was, <laughs> I was just sad. Um, that being said, it, it, the whole thing felt so very 2003. Like it's, yeah. I, I feel like I can absolutely see where it would stand in the, I don't know, sci-fi universe as a, as like an, an overall genre. Um, but it feels beyond dated to me. And I think a lot of that is probably all of the business with like Gaius and the Cylon. Like it feels very much like, Hey, supermodels can sell hamburgers. So why don't we try to make them sell <laughs> sci-fi as well? Like, so it, it, parts of it took me out of it. And then when they referred to the president as sir, I was like, okay, I am, I, this is annoying. Um, <laughs> So I enjoyed it, but the moment, like some of it just felt very inconsistent. Like it was, it was a, a world that's totally separate from earth. And then you bring earth into it. And in one moment, the captain's eating like just spaghetti. Like he's just like eating ramen and it's not like cool space food. And I'm like, wait a second. Uh-huh. <laughs> like the, the, the human element, as opposed to lots of aliens and lots of different species, like what you get from a, a Star Wars or a Star Trek, I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because of my affinity for Star Wars, that took me out of it at moments. Okay. And maybe that's like, you know, BSG as a whole, or maybe it's just this like reboot. But I, I definitely, like, I enjoyed it. Um, still mm-hmm. would pick Star Wars over it. Um, and I probably would not willingly watch the rest of it. But if someone was like, hey, it's really good. Um, or wanted, like, you know, if I was with a group of people that wanted to watch it, I'd be like, yeah, like I can, I can, you know. I can get down this. with this. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, you definitely hit the nail on the head uh, of some things. I think probably 10 years ago, um, you know, we were still, I this, you know, this started in 2003, this miniseries of 2003. So this is the better part of 20 years old. Yeah. Um, and I think even a decade or so ago, uh, we'll just call it, we'll just call it a decade ago. Um, you know, this was still very much highly thought of in terms of the production in terms of uh, well across the board across the board the writing the production the performances um the storytelling as a whole um again we're just going off of the pilot episode but um you know there are things revealed throughout that really let this narrative um blossom into a very beautiful story um, and as you mentioned, very sad at times, yeah. but in examining this, I think a lot of people were kind of, especially down the road, further along the series, people were like, oh my God, this is so good. This was on sci-fi. This was on the yeah. sci-fi network and yeah. like sci-fi network was always known for having like those really cheesy, cheap, you know, Up. type, type things. Up. But that was something that I picked up on watching this because I mean, I have the box set. Uh, the Blu-ray, the Blu-ray box set. So it's, you know, it's crystal clear yeah. and some of those things don't hold up as well as other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. But before we get deeper into it, let's get to this week's recap. Perfect. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We decided to play God. Create life. And when that life turned against us, we comfort ourselves in the knowledge that it was the Cylons that were flawed. But the truth is, we are the flawed creation. 
we've jumped into uncharted space. We're a long way from home. Limited supplies, limited fuel, no allies, and now no hope. As of this moment, we are at war. Sooner or later the day comes when you can't hide the things you've done. Moments ago, this ship received word of a Cylon attack against our home worlds is underway. You're the new breed of Cylon. I have feelings, hopes, wants, and what I want most of all is for you to love me. The Cylons look like us, then any one of us can be a Cylon. You're gonna die in this body. My consciousness will just be transferred to another one. Another Cylon! Humanity's children are returning home today. Let's get this ship into the fight. Get down! Zach failed basic flight. He should not have been there. He was only doing it for you. thought I should confess my sins. How's the wife? I promise you one thing. We will make it. We have 50,000 people left. The war is over. It hasn't begun yet. Battlestar Galactica premieres Sunday, December 7th at 9, only on Sci-Fi Channel. After a 40-year peace agreement in a war between the 12 human colonies of Cobol and the Cylons, the Cylons, robots created by humans, launch a surprise nuclear attack intended to exterminate humanity, virtually wiping out all 12 colonies. <laughs> Most of the colonial military is either rendered ineffective or destroyed due to malware in the military computer network that renders it vulnerable to cyber attack. The malware was introduced by Number 6, a Cylon in the form of a human woman who seduced the famous scientist Dr. Gaius Baltar and exploited their relationship to gain access codes under the cover of an insider contract bid. Yeah, right. The Battlestar Galactica a hybrid battleship aircraft carrier in space that fought in the earlier war is in the final stages of being decommissioned and converted to a museum when the attacks occur. During her decades of colonial service, the Galactica's computer systems had never been networked, so the Galactica is unaffected by the Cylon sabotage. Ooh, she's a beauty. Its commander, William Adama, assumes command of the few remaining elements of the human fleet. He heads for a military armory station, where the Galactica can resupply itself with weapons and other essentials. Meanwhile, Secretary of Education Laura Roslin, 43rd in the line of succession, is sworn in as president of the 12 colonies after it's confirmed that the president and most of the government have been killed. The government starship carrying her manages to assemble a group of surviving civilian ships. Nobody's perfect. When a colonial raptor shuttle from the Galactica lands briefly for repairs on the 12 colonies capital world of Caprica. The two-person crew, Boomer and Hilo, offer to evacuate a small group of survivors. I'm out of breath, you go! Hilo remains on the stricken planet, giving up his seat to evacuate Baltar, whom he recognizes for his celebrity status as a scientific genius. Meanwhile, the Cylons locate the human civilian fleet, and Roslyn is forced to make the decision to order all the ships capable of faster-than-light travel to jump immediately to escape. Unfortunately, this means abandoning many of the survivors who are aboard ships without FTL technology. 
and as Rosalind and the FTL ships jump away, the Cylons launch an attack on the remaining ships. Meanwhile, at Ragnar Anchorage, Adama is attacked by a supposed arms dealer who claims to be simply bootlegging supplies, but who is clearly being affected by the radiation clouds surrounding Ragnar, which humans are immune to. Adama deduces that he is facing a new type of Cylon that looks, sounds, and acts human. As the civilian fleet joins the Galactica at Ragnar, President Roslin appoints Baltar, who has not disclosed his corruption by the Cylons, as one of her scientific advisors to combat the Cylons. Sucks! Number six reveals herself to Baltar in hallucinatory form while attempting to direct his behavior. She suggests that she planted a microchip inside Baltar's brain while he slept, allowing her to transmit her image into his conscious mind. Great! Responding to one of her suggestions, he's compelled to identify Aaron Doral, a PR specialist, as Cylon agent masquerading as a human. Ooh, that's interesting! Despite his protests and the lack of any evidence to support the accusation, Doral is left at Ragnar when the Galactica departs. As the Cylons blockade Ragnar, the Galactica and its fleet of Vipers engage the Cylon fleet. Uh, there was a firefight! To allow the civilian fleet to escape by jumping to a distant, unexplored area outside of their solar system. The Galactica and the Colonial Fleet make good their escape. Great! Adama then attempts to lift the morale of the surviving humans by announcing plans to reach a legendary 13th colony called Earth, whose existence and location have been closely guarded military secrets. Roslyn is skeptical and later confronts Adama and makes him admit that Earth is simply an ancient myth. Sucks! Returning to his quarters, Adama finds an anonymous note that has been left for him stating, there are only 12 Cylon models. On Ragnar, Doral clearly appears to be suffering from radiation poisoning that has been shown to affect only Cylons. His identity as a Cylon is confirmed when a group of Cylons, including the metallic Cylon Centurions and several humanoid Cylons, consisting of multiple copies of Number 6, Doral, and Ragnar arms dealer models, come to retrieve Doral. In a twist ending, one of the groups appears to be Boomer indicating that her counterpart on the Galactica is a Cylon as well. What a twist! So we get this big... I, this is... Yeah, yeah, this is really fantastic. I think this is such a great way to drop people into a narrative is to have the stakes super high immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was your first thought? Let's take part one. What was your first thought upon seeing this world slowly unfold, building to the destruction of the 12 colonies? Yeah. Um, it happened a lot sooner than I thought it would. Like part one ended later than I was expecting. I was thinking it would end with the start of the destruction, Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was really interesting. And what I do, what I did really enjoy is kind of the moral dilemma and the fact that, you know, you know Cylon 6 isn't human like from the get-go, but that scene when she's in, I don't know, the market, I guess, like, with the infant and the mother and that like little bit of empathy that you see. Yeah. I I felt more than I thought that I would. Um, yeah, and, and, and it was, it was just, it was just very, it was, it was very sad. And that my only, I don't want to say grievance, but there, there were moments where I was like, wow, that's really sad. And then it was like, but then again, do I know these characters well enough to truly care? So I definitely cared more for, like, I was like, why do I care that this woman has cancer? And then, you know, also cancer in space, but it's fine. Um, 
<laughs> again, it took me out of the role a little bit, but I think that the character development, like I enjoyed the character development and by mm-hmm. part two, you know, I, I was, I was with them a little bit more, but there I was definitely like, I was initially sad, but it didn't like part one did not stick with me. Okay. Like I, if that, you know, cause it, cause I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, it definitely affected my emotions and I was, I was invested, but by the time it ended, I was like, but why do I care about these people? I don't know too much about. And yeah. that's also, I don't have any, you know, experience with Battlestar Galactica prior to this moment. Exactly. Because I'm, you know, taking this, uh, penciled in at 15 year journey through Star Trek, through all of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you coming from a place of being a big Star Wars fan, I was like, you know mm-hmm. what? Let's go for an adjacent episode. Let's throw, yeah. you know, let's throw you Battlestar Galactica. Cause <laughs> this is, I feel like this has really great elements of both. There seems to be yeah. a lot of things that are very familiar in, you know, some, you know, standard human social type structures, we'll say, and even things like cancer, you know, uh, like she goes to a doctor, she's diagnosed with cancer. There is, there is a military, that military has a structure very similar to the types of militaries we have on this planet. Um, But then, you know, we kind of see that there's it's very familiar, but it is very different. And there is sort of this deep mythology that goes back quite a ways, much like Star Wars. Yeah. But at the same time, like Star Trek, it is approached with a very, I'll say a sense of realism. I was going to say dark realism, but honestly, it's just kind of, it's, it, they're acting out of desperation. They're like, yeah. oh my God, we were completely unprepared for this. What do we do now? The, the moral dilemmas I really did enjoy because I, I feel like a lot of times with Star Wars, it is so, and whatever I love with Star Wars is it is so, this is the good guy and this is the bad guy. Right. Um, and yes, there are some, you know, nuances, but this had, I mean, when, when she's trying to decide who do you save and who do you sacrifice and you're going to lose a thousand people, but you save, you know, the entire race, like, you know, th- things like that, that really do kind of bump it up from kids playing on the playground with lightsabers. You know, yeah. this, is, this is definitely a little more, I mean, it's, it's just darker. I'm not going to necessarily say it's more adult. I guess it is in many ways, but that I enjoyed is it, it did keep me engaged. It wasn't just your classic, you know, space wizards. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I enjoyed that kind of complexity. Yeah. I made this comparison to um, another comedian here locally that uh, we both probably know Moody Black, who came on the yeah. show. Yeah. He came on the show some time ago. He and I were talking afterwards about the differences and what it really boils down to. And I proposed this thought um, and I'll, I'll share it here because I don't know that I've that I've shared it on the show before. Um, Star Wars is sort of the coming of age um, discovery of who who we are. You know, it's, you know, learning to this, this is who I am, despite who my parents might be, despite this world that I live in, this is who I am. Star Trek is now that we know who we are, what do we do? And I feel like Star Trek is more about, okay, this is the type of thought processes moving forward, interacting with new species, learning that, hey, people are different. You know, we have to we have to take considerations, you know, we, ha- you know, we have to keep these things in mind of, you know, not everybody, 
Not everybody worships like we do. Not everyone has the same political alignments that we do. Not yeah. everyone has the same environmental uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all of these things, tons, so many things that started back in the mid 1960s with Gene Ronberry's yeah. initial vision. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I approach it is like Star Wars helps us figure out who we are. Star Trek helps us figure out what to do. I love um, that. Yeah. So that's kind of how I look at this. And I feel like Battlestar Galactica is more of the mirror being held up of like in crisis mode, this is who we really are. Like when you strip things away, when you strip the, you know, when you strip the the pain off of yeah. this thing, what is it at its core? And we're looking at, we're looking at um, an old sailor who's, yeah. who's estranged, who's yeah. estranged from the one son and who lost his other. Yeah. Yes. He's held in very high regard as this military leader, but at the end, at the end of the day, he's a, he's a sad yeah barely held together <laughs> remnant of a man <laughs> yeah and and not like a i mean again you you have your good versus evil but there wasn't there's not really a true hero yeah yeah which i which i also enjoy like they're all just a, i don't want to say relatable because that feels a little too kitsch but they're just a little more nuanced mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's especially you know when Battlestar Galactica was initially conceived, it was very clear cut and dried of like, okay, if they got the little red thing going across their eyes and they're made of metal, that's the bad guy. <laughs> that's the villain, right? Yeah. But then we see folks like Caprica or uh, number six mm-hmm. and Doral and, um, and uh, Ragnar, yeah, the yeah. arms dealer, you know, we're seeing these folks and um, they have motivations. They have desires. They're they are curious they about anger this thing. Too. They you know, anger. It's, it's not just uh and we don't like you for this. Like there, there's just a mm-hmm. lot there. Yeah, a lot of it, ideas. To me, it it feels very reminiscent of some away from the original source material, but definitely more modern explorations of the Frankenstein monster. Of yes. like, yes, you created me and yes. then set me upon this world. Nature versus nurture. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big part of that. There's a big part of that. And, and I think that comes to light in some way with every single one of these characters, you know, mm-hmm. um, Apollo dealing with the loss of his brother and blaming his father, you know, but yeah. then it being revealed that it wasn't his father's doing, it was Starbuck, Starbuck, yeah. Starbuck carrying this burden of guilt for however long it was, you know, that not only did she get this young pilot killed, but that they were actually involved romantically yeah. and you know she feels that you know uh commander adama is very much a father figure to her so yeah. um you know in trying to keep in keeping all of that hush hush she i feel like she's preserving her station in this chosen family and yeah is desperate to preserve it especially now that most of humanity's dead right um, right you know, and then we, yeah, and then we get a look at um, President Roslin, who um, you know has a very. I, I love the I love the opening for her. Yeah. Of she just got told, and then everything slowly gets quiet for her as she sits there while it yeah. sinks in. Yeah. And then the explosions start happening, <laughs> and we see yeah. we we see her in a very what I feel is a very human moment of her trying to get composure in that ship 
lavatory and just oh, trying okay. to just you you see the hand on the chest of like okay heart stay in there but keep beating please she was my favorite I mean, I I just like from I I really enjoyed her performance and and a lot of I felt like her reveals aside from when she was standing there and she was like I have breast cancer um I thought a lot of her reveals were very strong and when when she was just sitting there with Lee and he he asked about the lineup and and you really it, it wasn't this pedantic oh PSA now I'm the president it was just this like just this absolute resignation. Yeah. You know, like it, it, she wasn't, that, that was never supposed to happen. And, that, yeah. and that's what I enjoyed. It's like, it's none of it's, none of it was supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just uh, the, the world, the world that is thrust upon this group of this very yeah. different group of people who are now forced to make this trek across the galaxy uh, and learn something or find something that's kind of that's kind of where we're left where we're left at so getting into part two one of the things that i wanted to look at uh with part two was boomer and Hilo having to make that choice Ugh. of who stays and who goes and i i that hated is, when he stayed i was so mad oh man it's it's such a it's such a in in a sea of tense moments throughout yeah. this miniseries. I feel like this is higher than most of the rest of everything you, going on. You just feel icky like that. And that's, I think that's, that's what I was speaking to. And I said, I didn't have like, you know, you don't know everybody. So like, it was like, why do I care about these people? But that, it, it was, it was just this feeling of like, oh, I hate this. I hate that it's, it's just, it's just the worst of mankind. Like it, yeah. it is the worst, like what, you know, women and children, but, but why? And, and who really gets to stay and, yeah. and, Oh, it's, it, it is, it's, it's just icky. It's yeah. just an awful, and, and you don't like, I, you know, until that moment, right. And you get the big reveal with Boomer at the end, but you don't, you don't think Hilo's that good of a guy to like stay behind. Yeah. Like the, yeah. I think like that, that caught me off guard. I, I wasn't, I was not expecting that in that moment. Yeah. And it's, and, oh, it, and it's, so, and it's so interesting because neither one of them know the sliminess of Bias yeah. Baltar. Worst. <laughs> well, Fucking worst. And speaking about him, and just to go back to the Cylons themselves for just a second here, because I, I don't know that we addressed this fully. I think yeah. one of the things I find most interesting, especially about number six, is her is her curiosity about mm-hmm. humanity. You know, I mean, we see that yeah. when she's interacting with the baby, but she treats the baby kind of the same way she treats Baltar in that she's more fascinated by him. Yeah. As a, as almost as a lab rat of like, okay, I'm going to dangle this piece of cheese and, you know, yeah. And study you. Yeah. 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 Um, Any thoughts about like Patricia Helfer and, you know, her character number six and, you know, the things, the things that she's very subtly doing because this because this role this role could very easily have been just played up as like hey here's a pretty lady in a right, in a right. in a very skimpy outfit but yeah. like she's doing some she's doing oh, some I, heavy I lifting really, here i really like like in the first scene of like the, of the first episode i was like oh, okay and there's the cliche but again i really did enjoy her and i and i i thought the empowerment was really interesting and what, what I love, like, and again, this it's it's very 2003, it's very like patriarchy, whatever, 20 years ago, it was different. But the 
the fact that like hell hath no fury as a woman scorned like that. I thought that was so interesting. And, and what I'm constantly struck by with, with so much of sci-fi is, you know, it's, it's science fiction and you like briefly mentioned worship with, with Star Trek, but it does always come back to this, like what is created, what is innate. And if this is a, a machine, you know, or a robot, humanoid, whatever, that's created by mankind in a world, if that were to actually happen, what, which of our flaws would still permeate that technology? And, I, yeah. and I'm like, like way overthinking it, but I just thought that was, I think you can absolutely like blame the time and make it, you know, a little bit of a trope, but you can also argue, well, if they're, you know, humanoid robots designed by human beings, you know, je jealousy feels like something that would be either yeah. innate in their, in their, you know, I don't know, in their binary or would be something that they would learn from watching. Yeah, so like and I enjoyed some of those nuances and the fact that she's like, I just want you to love me and, 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 and her curiosity for him and kind of his, like she is so much more human than she is. And she, she shows so much more empathy and so much more selflessness than he does. And I thought that was a really, that, that's kind of a fun, like unexpected. That's not what you're thinking is going to happen between the two of them. And I kept wanting him to be the good guy. Like I kept wanting him to just like, own up to it and he's just the worst yeah he's just the worst oh yeah and it's it's so it's so fascinating to me because you know when she does come into the bedroom and catch him with another woman yeah. it's all of these things that um that number six is displaying i think you hit on it of like she has these very raw human emotions but it's they're misplaced or so slightly tender. misaligned yeah. and i feel because here not too long ago uh someone well it maybe it may have been a few years ago someone uh broached the topic of in a discussion of the idea of genetically transferred and i'm, I'm gonna butcher the the terminology here but essentially sure. genetically transferred trauma and i was mm -hmm. like I don't know that that's a thing. It's mostly yeah. psychological. It's unique to the individual. As we go along and as we start learning more things about ourselves in humanity and the trauma of certain peoples yep. and certain upbringings, we mentioned already uh, nature versus nurture, mm -hmm. um, more and more of these things are coming to light and- yep psychology is such a is still of the sciences it's still the youngest like yep. uh, you know and the most gray yeah you know in the it, with the idea I mean, i've mentioned it a few times before but my father is a veteran of the vietnam war like mm -hmm. back then mental health for those guys it was just it above was shell shock like alcohol yeah 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 a lot of them were self-medicated or worse yeah, and yeah, and pe people, families, you know, strangers suffered because nobody knew what to say or do to these guys who are witness witnessing these horrors and coming back and participating in these horrors. You know, like it yeah. again, affected dehumanization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I had a thought, and now that thought <laughs> is gone from me. Um, well, fun fact on that: if it, it helps jog it, jog your memory. There have been studies done in recent years on Holocaust victims um, and and the the children of Holocaust victims and mm -hmm. their bodies show like their their biology, not just you know your mental health, not just your psychology, but their physical bodies show 
trauma that they themselves have never experienced. So like there, wow. there is like slowly but surely like legitimate science is coming out. Not that mental health isn't and psychology isn't, but but um, that science is proving that trauma can be passed down um, through the body as well as the mind, which is just yeah. insane. Yeah, that is absolutely bonkers. One of the, you know, speaking of things that we are seeing and revisiting uh, seemingly time and again, especially mm-hmm. here more recently, um, I thought of, especially towards the beginning of the pandemic, where everyone was so desperate for groceries, um, toilet mm-hmm. paper, um, you know, masks and, you know, other essential, essential yeah. products. It made me look at the scene where people are trying to barter their way onto Boomer and Helo's ship. And yeah. that's one of the things that I've seen with Star Trek, especially as we are working our way through Star Trek Enterprise, which came out just before this, um, just before this mini series debuted, uh, a year or so before this series debuted, actually two weeks after 9-11 is when Star Trek Enterprise got started. And, um, you know, it's only, it's only 20 years removed, but there are things that are popping up story-wise and in the general narrative that hit differently post-Trump, post-COVID, post-9-11. So many of these things are coming back around and rearing their head and going, that old old thing of like, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. We might as well just go ahead and say, hey, pay attention to sci-fi as well, because we're talking about it too. Right, right. (laughs) Did you- did, did any of this stuff, especially, you know, some of the desperation in these people did, uh, did any of that bring up anything for you? I mean, I, I, to, you know, I try to, I try to, for my own mental health, I try to steer, steer clear of as a lot of, as much news as I can, I hear you, but yeah. a lot of this stuff, you know, going on in the Ukraine and we're seeing these, we're seeing these folks who are, who are in a desperate situation yeah. and it doesn't look like it's getting better better anytime soon. Um, yeah. It's in trying to you know preserve my own mental health and try to separate you know create a bit of a bit of distance just so I can make it through the day. Seeing some of this stuff played out in narratives like Battlestar Galactica, yeah. like Star Wars, like Star Trek, yeah, um, I feel helps put it into perspective a little bit, or maybe shed some weird light on it it, yeah it it gives an accessibility Mm. right I think that that's that's Mm. why I've always been so affected by and so drawn to the theater because it does give you a way to connect with people and a way like a way to to meet people whether it's you know another like physical human or another character um yeah it 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 does it really I mean like my thoughts together well that's kind of what I was driving at was like what, 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 what actually matters as, as human beings, right? Like, I think what really struck me in that scene is, especially, you know, in a, in a post-Trump era where like capitalism is just the, the massive machine and, and we're, we all feel so money motivated, mm-hmm. you know? And then you have this moment where people are just throwing money and it's like at, at the end of the day, yeah. you know, that's your, your dollar amount is not what your value is. And, and that's, that's what I'm always constantly struck by, like from, from the, the footage I've seen of what's going on in Ukraine to moments like this in Battlestar Galactica, as well as, you know, like comparable um, moral dilemmas and other, you know, literature and books and whatever uh, movies. That's what I'm always so struck by. And what, what sits with me in a way that other things don't is that, you know, 
Yeah. I get very money motivated and I get very stressed over money and, and wanting things. And I, I love my stuff and I love my, you know, indulgence and whatever, but at the end of the day, that's not, what's going to get you on the ship. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, um, Peter Parker still has to pay rent. Like right. <laughs> one of the greatest superheroes of, you know, of our fictional world. He still has to worry about rent. Lives in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to kind of piggyback off of what you were just saying, you've done, you've been acting and doing things in theaters for a long, long time. Yep. Have any of the roles that you've played I mean, you know, you get cast as something and they see something, it might be a look, it might be, uh, you know, a type, you know, it might be, uh, you know, your singing ability might be your movement might be, uh, you know, who knows? (laughs) Not my movement. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) But, and I'm always, you know, I'm always curious as to what an actor takes from a role. As opposed, you know, there's so many things that an actor can bring to a role. Basically, everything before you got cast, all of your life experiences is what you bring to the role. But what do you take from the role? Have there been any of these characters that you've played on stage or in camera or or otherwise? um, Has there been any character that you've played where a nugget of that character stuck around either, you know, somewhere up here or you know, somewhere deeper? Ooh, um, I have like a, a two, off the top of my head, I have like a twofold yeah. answer. Um, I played this, and again, this was this was high school, but I, I mean, I guess it was very formative because it's it stuck with me this long. I played Joe March in Little Women, um, which is, if you know me at all, if you were, I, like I, I am Joe March. That's like very much my type, very much, you know, a character that I identified with. Um, and I think a lot of her outspokenness has stuck with me. Um, and again, I, I read the the book as a child, but even since doing that show, I mean, again, I, I did that show, God, 10 years ago. <laughs> um, but just kind of that, I think I learned a lot about myself and I continue to learn a lot about myself through that role because it's like, I've recognized we, I mean, we all hate change, but she did everything she could to, to keep things the way that they were because she thought it was like good with her family and with her sisters. Um, the sense of so normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kind of, you know, what it's like, like she's, she's constantly comparing herself to her sisters who seem to handle their misfortunes better. And she's the one that's like, no, actually it sucks. Actually it totally sucks. And I'm really unhappy about it. Um, and I've, and I've, I've enjoyed that and kind of the, you know, Louisa May Alcott didn't get married. And I, and then, so some of that's just kind of stuck with me. Um, and then watching, Greta Gerwig's um, adaptation that came out a couple of years ago just kind of like brought all of this back up to the surface. Yeah. So that's one that stuck with me um, that I think I still carry with me. But what an interesting experience that happened in, in the last show I did, which was Sense and Sensibility. Um, I played Fanny Dashwood, who is it's a, a more minor role, um, but she is the step sis, no, sister in law. She's a sister in law to the Dashwoods and she's just awful. Like to, I'm, I'm a little getting long on the tooth here, but she's just awful. And when we started rehearsals, I was so desperately trying to find some form of empathy for her and like leaning into the humor and it, it did not get funny. And I didn't find her until I just had to realize this is what this woman wants. And you're not supposed to look at your character and, and villainize them. But at the end of the day, I had to realize like, no, this, 
she's, she is not the good guy. And, and she is not someone that the audience gets to empathize with or sympathize with. Like you, my, my goal in these scenes and in this moment is for you to sympathize with all of the other characters and for you to just really, really, really hate Fanny. Um, and so like accepting, you know, I, I wanted to be like my desire to be liked, you know, realizing that I carry that onto, st onto the stage, even when I really shouldn't be. Um, that was a really interesting thing to learn um, and just kind of accepting, like, I just have to like lean into the fact that I'm uncomfortable with just how biting and how venomous I'm being. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, you know, some of the things you mentioned, I, you know, kept flashing back to how a lot of people were behaving, still are behaving um, in this era of COVID where, gosh, you know, so, so many primal things are coming to the surface for a lot of people. Um, you know, the great, the great resignation where people are realizing how unhappy they are in their yep. chosen fields and saying, you know what, I'm not going to live my life this way. I've Bye. participated. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's so fascinating, you know, especially when we look at certain scenes like this in, uh, in Battlestar Galactica, where everybody's world, everybody's world in an instant has been turned upside down. Mm -hmm. And then we look at things, you know, it, it is what, it, what do you do in those moments? And I think in the Star Wars universe for me, and it, I, I kind of tear up every time it's Luke standing, staring at those twin sunsets, knowing, oh, knowing that his life is supposed, knowing his yeah. life is supposed to be different. It's one thing to think it. And it's one thing to hope it, but yeah. to know in your bones, like your yeah. yeah, that my life is supposed to be different. It's out there. Yeah. And, you know, in Star Trek, it's kind of, okay, this is the way things are with these people that we're having to deal with. And mm -hmm. how do we, how do we uh, learn and grow and expand and reach out to the, to, you know, person X. Right and maintain who we are as people, because it's super easy to fall into this. It's super easy to fall into those desperate tendencies. And, yeah. yeah. And yeah. just, you know what, screw it, you know, uh, when in Rome and just, right. and just do, right. you know, do whatever, you know, we've seen, we've seen, we've seen in enterprise where a ship that was, it was a, it was a trading ship and they resorted to piracy and they ended up killing some crew members, but it was just kind of, it, because we're here, we, yeah. do, you, do you think we try, do you think we didn't try to get out of here? This is, this is our life now. This is who we are. This yeah. is where we live. And this is the life that we've had to adapt to, to survive. And I feel like so many of those things get brought up in each franchise, Battlestar Galactica, uh -huh. for sure. Star Wars to a degree, Star Trek I mean, to a degree, Harry but Potter, like, yeah, this is like built into human nature. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's also you just keep your, you know, you were taught so young. If you do the right thing, the right thing will happen to you. And like speaking as someone that did the right thing for a large chunk of her life, like it did not, you know, pan out the way I was told it would. Yeah. Um, and so accepting, you know, that idea of like, okay, well now, now knowing, you know, more who I am, how, do, how do you like move forward into, into the great unknown of, of, of new species and new belief systems and new people and, you know, practice empathy and and kindness but also recognizing eh, that's not going to jive well with me anymore i'm i'm gonna have to like say no to that 
Yeah, exactly. And let's be honest, who better to take us through these things than a bunch of white guys? So um, took the words out of my mouth. Now, now we're getting to our uh, section that we lovingly titled, Who Do We Blame? Um, Mr. Glenn A. Larson actually began his career in the entertainment industry in 1956 as a member of the vocal group, The Four Preps. They ultimately produced three gold records for Capitol, all of which Larson wrote and or composed himself. Uh, later, uh, a later member of the four preps, David Somerville, and, and a session singer that they knew, Gail Jensen, actually later collaborated with Larson to write and compose The Unknown Stuntman, which ended up being the theme for the show The Fall Guy with lead actor Lee Majors performing this song over the opening titles. And it sounds a little something like this. But the hardest thing I ever do is watch my leading ladies kiss some of the guy while I'm bandaging my knee. I might fall from a tall building, I might roll a brand new car, cause I'm the unknown stuntman that made Redford such a star. So a funny thing about that song um before i started prepping this episode i was um and it's so it's amazon alexa but i'll whisper it because i don't want my alexa to go off um i actually call her miss a so miss a (laughs) was playing random things for me at my request while i was doing uh some chores around the house and i had a sudden flash of memory of this show the fall guy uh, this was a thing from my childhood. It was sort of a hour-long drama of people solving crimes who have no business solving crimes. <laughs> and uh, act- actor and stuntman Lee Majors uh, was the was the title character, the Fall yeah. Guy. Yeah. And this song, which in your research, did you actually pull up the song and listen to it? I did not. No, no. I should have. Okay. No, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> it's it's uh needless to say it's a product of its time (laughs) it's all about him getting blown up falling off of things um and all for the women for his leading ladies who he never who he never ends up with you know i I, could not have guessed that yeah (laughs) because he's the unknown stuntman uh anyways after working on series like six million dollar man and The Fugitive, I don't care. Larson was able to secure a then unprecedented $1 million episode budget for a new series he developed in an attempt to capitalize on the pop culture juggernaut that became and is Star Wars. Now, this new show incorporated many themes from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints theology, such as uh, sealing, which is the uh, marriage uh ritual and uh you know things like time and eternity and a council of 12 larson a member of lds in real life had been working on the concept since 1968 with former star trek producer gene l coon mentoring him in those early stages although he originally wanted to name the series adam's arc larson changed the name to something a little more exotic Uh, However, he was later convinced to include the word star in the title, eventually deciding on the title Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Fast forward to 1988. (laughs) 
Uh, a young Ronald D. Moore is touring the set of Star Trek The Next Generation during the filming of Season 2, Episode 13, Times Squared. And while, while there, he passed a script he had written to one of Gene Roddenberry's assistants who rolled their eyes and then helped him get an agent and resubmit the script through proper channels. Uh, about seven months later, executive producer Michael Piller read the script and bought it. It became the Season 3 episode, The Bonding, and based on that script, he was offered the opportunity to write a second script, and that script led to a staff position as a script editor, and two years later, he was promoted to co-producer and then producer for the series' final year, which was 1994. Um, we've both uh, made efforts in creative fields. That type of story doesn't really happen, it doesn't does happen. it? It only happens <laughs> if you're a man. That's, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's probably truer than most people realize. At least in the eighties, uh, at least in the eighties, at least in the eighties, for sure. But just the idea of like, hey, I wrote this thing. Take a look at it. Like, not even that's not even nobody carries the script around with them. It's all you know. Hey, here's where can I email you the PDF? Right. However, it still is who you know. Like very much. Yes, absolutely. Is definitely a game of who who do you know? Because yeah. and I've seen this even in fields. Uh, outside the arts uh -huh. that you could have a great resume, a great okay. education. You might be able to tick all the boxes, but if you don't have someone on the inside, who's willing to take your resume and put it into someone else's hands and say, they're good people. Like you can forget it. <laughs> I definitely saw that in law enforcement. Yeah. It's definitely true in the legal field. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you, have you ever had any sort of dealings and things like that, that you'd be willing to talk about here? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's actually, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, not quite to that extent, but I, I, uh, participated in the great resignation, um, in a mere 26 days ago. Oh. And I've been like applying online to anything I can, you know, find short of an OnlyFans account. And <laughs> I made an Instagram for my cat and just mentioned briefly on my Instagram, like promoting my cat that I was unemployed and a guy who had slid into my DMs messaged me and was like, so I actually work for a recruiting agency. Um, if you're serious, like send me your resume. Uh, and he got me the interview with the law firm that I just had last week. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's in a, in a weird roundabout way, uh, okay. that does feel kind of 80s, being a woman. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it really does. And I've, you know, that's that's the most recent um, to come to my mind. Wow. What, what about you? Do you have a, a I can, comparable yarn? You know, I can definitely speak to, um, I you know, as I was coming up in my early 20s, I was kind of a little aimless. Uh, when my mom passed away, I, you know, fell into a really dark place and just yeah. was slowly just letting things go and just didn't really care anymore. Um, I wound up working at the YMCA. Um, this was, you know, after a lengthy stint in martial arts sure. um, and working sort of customer service type jobs. Uh, the YMCA requires their folks to be, you know, because they're all health and wellness and all that stuff. So right. they require their folks to be CPR and AED certified. Um, they work with kids a lot and they need bus yep. drivers. So at one point I drove a bus for the daycare um, and for the senior citizens. Um, so I had a buddy of mine who at the time uh, he, he had been in ROTC and he ended up getting a job uh, at the local county jail. And he said, uh, you know, Todd, 
you uh you have a martial arts background you're good with people um you know you've got all the training and certifications from ymca why don't you come downtown we'll pay you twice as much really i'll see you there (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so i did end up getting on with um with uh, Greenville County Detention Center and working with yeah. them for three years. But in my time there, I saw folks come in who I'm not sure how they got hired. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if it was, they did know somebody up the chain of command, but they had some sort of skill and mm-hmm. they got a job, Yep. but working in corrections, working at the County jail is a unique beast unto itself yeah it takes a, it takes a very special person i'll put special in quotes um <laughs> it takes a very special person to do that job uh and do it well with any sort of longevity cool. and i saw people who were as smart as the day is long but i couldn't leave them alone with inmates because they would eat them alive <laughs> i had uh i had one person who was just <sighs> who was flat out mean. He was just flat out mean to inmates. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, that everybody in, you know, that wears an orange jumpsuits, you know, a piece of garbage or anything, but like, look, we all have different lives. It winds up taking us different places. Some of them land up and wind up in jail. Don't exacerbate it. Exactly. And at one point I had to pull an officer aside and say, Hey, look, man, I don't know if you've realized this, but we are outnumbered 250 to one. You should probably learn to be a little courteous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It will go a long way. And their, their initial response was like, man, I'm not just nasty to anybody. I said, that's not what I said. Yeah. Just be polite. Just be as polite as you would be to anybody else outside Mm -hmm. of here. Yeah. Your shift will go so much more smoothly. (laughs) You will be able to accomplish so much more. (laughs) And, you know, it, you know, so there's, there's, I I think there are definitely two sides to it of people who know someone to get the job, but then there's also people who know someone get the job who have no business working that job. Oh, I've, I've experienced that as well. Oh yeah. Any, uh, anything juicy? Um, there was a kid I was in college with and none of us just like, he was in my major and not, to this day like to this day none of us know how or why like I don't I I don't understand how he has the same degree that I do like wow. it to the point that there was a group of us when we were seniors we were like we're gonna talk to the we're gonna talk to the faculty about it because it's this is pretty disgraceful yeah um you know and, and then you graduate and you just don't care anymore but <laughs> right <laughs> again again I, I have no idea if he knew somebody no clue but it I mean it's it's almost a fever dream looking wow. back at that now. Cause it was just, I do not know how he got through high school, let alone a, a four-year bachelor's degree. Wow. It's something creative of all things. Like, you know, people what? stumble into these things kind of, you know, uh, ass backwards oh God. <laughs> for lack Crazy. of a better term, much like Ronald D. Moore, like yeah. his first credit in the industry was that script he handed off on a set tour of next gen. And then that led to him, you know, becoming the producer in this, you know, series final year, 1994. And then he would continue to work in the franchise on various different series for the next 11 years, nice. which is bonkers. <laughs> how he got what in. We all give. Yeah. 
So uh, this episode was directed by Michael Reimer, who has an interesting career leading up to this. Uh, he worked on a few smaller film projects in the late 1980s. Uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams in 1988. He was a production coordinator, and that's based off the work of F. Scott Fitzgerald. And then he worked on uh, The Freeway Maniac, which came out in 1989 from writer-director Paul Winters. Um, and Reimer was a uh, production assistant on that. This, this, you know, tagline or little synopsis <laughs> actually kind of intrigued me a little bit. We might have to do a bonus episode sometime I'm here uh, covering the Freeway Maniac. <laughs> it reads, a crazed killer sneaks onto the set of a sci-fi film and begins murdering the cast and crew. <laughs> like, all right, I'm in, you know, we'll watch cool. that and do a yeah. double, we'll do a double feature with, uh, with uh, Sharknado or something. Perfect. Yes. The Meg, something like that. <laughs> oh yes. Oh my God. Yeah. And then uh, in 1995, Michael Reimer actually directed his second screenplay, Angel Baby. This one actually kind of intrigued me too. It reads two schizophrenics meet during therapy and fall passionately in love. Ahead of them lies the inevitable road to disaster. One they share to the end. Um, it sounds very film. Thelma and Louise, but yes. like more romantic. I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, just like, you know, get you, get your, in your nice little feels. A oh, happy, yeah. uplifting film, probably. <laughs> yeah. And then in uh, 2002, uh, Reimer directed Queen of the Damned, the long-awaited sequel to Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire from 1994. Did you ever see Inter Interview with the Vampire? I'm like, I know of it, but I've never seen it. Oh, it's, <laughs> I really, it's, uh, you know, it'll make you go, Twilight? What's Twilight? Like, <laughs> it's like. Well, I, I was a twitard. Like, oh, what? Oh, this Interview with the Vampire oh would be right up your alley because we're Excellent. talking. We're talking Tom Cruise, and we're, again, a lot of these guys are older now, but we're talking 1994, Tom yeah. Cruise, Brad mm -hmm. Pitt, Antonio Banderas. I, like, I've, I've seen, I know I've seen stills from it, and I, I just need to watch it, because I would probably love it more than I would want anyone to know. Oh, yeah. It'll make, it'll make you take all your uh, Twilight stuff and just toss it right in the garbage. Oh, oh. You're like, oh, this, this is clearly what I was supposed to, what I was <laughs> meant to be watching. <laughs> well, you also get a really great performance, you know, and then we will get back to BSG, but you also get a really great performance from a seven-year-old Kirsten Dunst, who- Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, she, her performance, uh, the one story I recall from that is that her performance was so good and so dark and frankly depressing. Yeah that producers ended up going to her parents going, is she okay? Is she, does she need help? Oh, <laughs> like no. that's how good she was. In I that, love in that it. Film. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Highly, highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, let's get to, you know, speaking of uh, yeah. cast, let's get to uh, some of our main Beautiful. players here uh, right off the bat on the center, you know, of every poster and promotional image, you see the so two good. big, the two big ones, Edward James Olmos and Mary McDonald. They are so great. So they are They're so clear. great. So and it's, and to be honest, like as great as these two episodes are, I, it's worth the price of admission just for the scenes between the two of them. I agree. They've got so much going on. And I mean, I'm assuming the audience has watched this along with us. I don't need to go into it further, <laughs> but just, just to a little bit of who they are, Edward James Olmos Emmy winner, Golden Globe winner, Oscar nominee. He was Gaff 
in Blade Runner back in 1982, like Hollywood royalty from yeah. way back when. Capital A actor. Oh, yeah. And certainly no slouch herself, Mary McDonald as President Laura Roslin, just killing it, killing it. She herself, Emmy nominee, Golden Globe nominee, Oscar nominee. I always picture her, even though I, I love her as President Roslin, I still, uh, First Lady Marilyn Whitmore, yep. 1996 from Independence yep. Day. I just adore her in that it, role. I, mean, I, I was like watching and watching and I was like, what do I know her from? What do I know her from? I know there are aliens involved. And then it hit me and I was like, yes, that's it. That's she's it. just so good. She, yes. I mean, she really, she just, she's so grounded. Yes, absolutely. And of course, she also got a turn just before, just before BSG as Rose Darko, Donnie Darko's mother. Uh, back in 2001 she played it's it's a different type of performance yeah. it's a uh, Darnie, Donnie Darko is a different type of movie obviously <laughs> a um, but yeah another just fantastic performance I, I can't toot the horns of Edward James Olmos and Mary McDonald enough yeah. they are so so good in this but we do have other other folks to talk about uh, Katie Sackoff as Lieutenant Kara Starbuck Thrace Kara Thrace uh, she had a uh, a bit of a sparse career leading up yeah. to this, uh, but she did make an appearance in Halloween Resurrection back in 2002 as the character of Jen. And then we see her uh, years after this in Riddick. I love the Chronicles of Riddick movies. I think those are so much fun. <laughs> such It's such a dumb... Totally. It, it's, it's, it's fast and furious set in sci-fi. That's yes. all it is. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, there's no car. There's no car. It's just Vin Diesel's like delts and biceps. That's all it is. And his gravelly, gravelly That's voice. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then we've got Jamie Bamber as uh, Captain Lee Adama. Uh, call sign Apollo. Yep. He actually has a Star Trek credit. Uh, he was in Star Trek Continues, uh, season one, episode one, Pilgrim of Eternity. That was in 2013. Yeah, it's it's a fan made. It's a fan. It's a fan made thing, but it counts. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be honest. Like uh, usually, when I look at these things, I do quick scans for okay. Any of these people been in Star Trek? Totally. <laughs> and then it's kind of. Any of these people been in a sci-fi thing? Yes. Yep. Okay. Have they won an award for anything? Anything at all. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of these folks, uh, you know, sort of getting a, getting ahead a little bit here, but if you go through a lot of these folks are from Canada. Uh, uh-huh. The Canada production side of this was pretty big. And I think yeah. that may have been in order to save some money a little bit mm-hmm. on a project that I, I got to, ma- I got to imagine Ronald D. Moore, even though with the success of his run in Star Trek, pitching something like Battlestar Galactica was a bit of a swing until it got to Sci-Fi Channel and be like, hey, look, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, you know, decade. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, over a decade yeah. with Star Trek. I'm casting a bunch of Canadian actors. We've got two big leads in Edward James Olmos and Mary McDonald. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to, you know, yes. yeah. And they said, yes, you know, that, that, that makes it a bit of an easier pill to swallow, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but moving right along, we've got uh, James Callis as Dr. Gaius Baltar, the slimy Dr. Gaius Baltar, who actually won two separate awards for his role as Baltar. I mean, he's great because he's, you hate him. Yeah. He does and a great pretty, job. He doesn't hurt. <laughs> 
And then uh, Trisha Helfer, same type of thing as number six, you know, clearly brought on for a very specific function for this show. But like like I said, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Like I said earlier, she absolutely kills it. And and it shows because she was nominated for four separate awards for her for her role as number six. She absolutely kills. And, you know, looking at her career, she went on to do many more things in yeah. in different fandoms so she's got the nerd cred all all day long yeah yeah then we've got uh callum keith renee as leoben Conoy. uh he's the um he's the arms dealer that's actually the name yes. of his character and he was actually in memento back in 2000 he oh. was the, the infamous dodd in memento if you've ever seen memento interesting yeah that uh guy pierce and uh yeah. uh trinity from the matrix carrie ann moss uh uh-huh. you know in the very trippy uh early effort uh-huh. from chris nolan uh, there is a there is I've a, not seen that in years it's such a good movie i love that movie so much it is good um but yeah the character of dodd was uh played by callum keith renee and uh then we've got grace park as lieutenant junior grade sharon valeri aka Boomer. hawaii 50 yeah yeah from hawaii 50 that's that's her big one after this yeah. um she's done uh, i mean tons of stuff all over television but that's that's the big one after that's what i knew her from <laughs> <laughs> there you go then we've got uh lorena gale as alosha she's the uh sort of the the priestess at the end you know when just before adama ah, gives yes, his yes. gives yes. his big speech uh Thank you know you the so say that. we all speech yeah she's the one who's conducting the ceremony there oh, so good yeah and she also does uh she also appeared in halloween resurrection alongside uh Katie Sackhoff in 2002 as Nurse Wells. She also made an appearance in The Butterfly Effect in 2004. Did you ever see Butterfly Effect? No, I again, it's one that I, I know of and I've seen like bits of, but I've never seen all of it. But I, I mean, I, I know the story. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And, you know, a lot. I think a lot of people enjoy punching up at Ashton Kutcher, but honestly- okay. It's a really solid performance and he's totally. very good in it. Uh, as is, as is uh, Amy Smart, I believe is- uh, uh-huh. The other lead yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, Lorena Gale uh, passed away June 21st of 2009 in Vancouver uh, from throat cancer. So, Miss um, Gale, thank you so much for your efforts and your wonderful, wonderful performance here that will live on in nerd hearts uh, for a long, long time. Thank <laughs> you so nice. much for that. And we will miss you. So say we all. Uh, and uh, rounding out the uh, rounding out the cast here, we've got uh, Candace McClure as Petty Officer Anastasia D. Duala. Um, she she has a very unique role. I feel like her character. She's a young um, African American officer yeah, on the bridge who is wearing a headset. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who ends up kissing? She ends the... up passionately kissing the president's yes. uh, assistant, Billy. Yeah. Um, I but like she, her. I really like her too. And I feel like, unfortunately, we don't get a lot of her here in this mini series, but she plays a very important role in that she's lower on the totem pole in terms of her rank, but she is sort of, we get a lot of the feelings and emotions in the room through her because yeah. she's, she, uh, 
sort of a Greek chorus, her character, yeah. I feel, yeah, as, especially here. Um, we, we are, we, we sympathize most with her because she is witnessing this and she probably hasn't had the well, and extensive us. war career that Adama yeah, has. And, and like, she's, she's us, like she's watching it the way that we are, you know, exactly. like the way that we are. Yes. Yeah, I, I really enjoy her. And that's, what's fun about like bit roles like that is they do, they, they stick with you. Yeah. And that's one thing, you know, that's one thing Star Trek has done so well over the years in addition to casting a really core ensemble to carry the show, however long the show runs, they make use of this backlog of character actors who come in for an episode, maybe two, who just kill it. Just yeah, nobody comes it from, in. Yes. Um, we've had the great fortune to speak with uh, Spencer Garrett, uh, one of the... Yeah greatest uh character actors working today he the guy's been working for over 30 years and he is still cranking it out you can see him now on winning time yeah uh, on hbo the story about the los angeles lakers he plays chick he's just a good guy you know like people you just want people like that to succeed yes and such a delight to talk to was so kind and uh just everything you want in an interview with 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 (laughs) someone yeah it was it was wonderful um so let's let's get into a little bit more about the um a little bit deeper into these episodes one of the thing, a couple of the things that I like to talk about when we do these uh, Star Trek adjacent type properties is to talk about the aesthetic and things that they have going on on screen. And then some things that are kind of between, you know, you got to read between the lines a little bit. Um, so let's start with the surface level, the aesthetic. I, the camera movement here is a lot different than something like Star Trek, where it's, you know, a steady cam on a track and we're yeah. moving and then we're moving around here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big handheld, like we are following these characters, you know, we're following Starbuck as she goes on her run on her early morning run, that camera yeah. goes right with her. Um, we see there's some interesting um, footage of, uh, and of course it's all, you know, CG, sure. but um, going from a wide establishing shot to a hyper focus Mm-hmm. point of interest uh, you know a very quick zoom and i think they actually did some of this in star wars episode two attack of the clones i think because there's a lot more battle footage yes. between yeah, the clones and the and the droids yeah i know you're talking about um what do you think of the style of the visuals here how does how does how does this stack up to the standard fare you might see i you on know, television? i i liked it um that's kind of busy but it it feels very Battlestar Galactica like I'm not gonna if you were to take footage out of this pilot and just like you know blind test it against mm-hmm. a Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever mm-hmm. just on like you know footage of the ships or of the the special effects alone I would be able to place it to Battlestar Galactica I wouldn't think it was another sci-fi so like I, I thought the consistency was good um again it definitely feels of its time mm-hmm. um and of its budget like it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's not where all of their budget went right you know for some of those shots but i mean i i enjoyed it it didn't none of it took me out of the world yeah i i liken it to um you know some of the things i mentioned like it it, it strikes of 
some things that we may have seen in some war footage, either from, you know, yeah. World War II, Vietnam, especially Vietnam, because that was the, you know, the first televised war. Um, but it also made me think of things like Daniel Craig's James Bond and yeah. um, Matt Damon as Jason Bourne, where it's a very little sci-fi. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a very action based it's a very action-based story, but the cinematography really sort of puts you next to them while they are doing the thing, as it's opposed to a little more grit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you are very much there. And I mean, coming from a little bit of a martial arts background, you know, I saw the behind the scenes stuff. I always think of the behind the scenes stuff from the first born identity mm-hmm. and watching Matt Damon go through some of the choreography for some of the stuff. And then seeing the final shot, I was like, oh, the other stuff was re- was way more impressive, but you took this camera angle and it kills it. Like, mm-hmm. so I think there's definitely a delicate balance of artistic vision versus making sure the audience sees what they need to see. And yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of people that need to that, you know, have eyes on the footage, but obviously before it goes to the editing base, but yeah. um. It's really fascinating. The other thing that uh, is surface level, but a little bit deeper, when uh, the faster than light drive is engaged, they yes. do they do a, <clears throat> a dolly zoom, basically uh-huh. where you uh-huh. dolly in and zoom out, or zoom in and dolly out, whichever yeah. whichever you prefer, <laughs> um, and it kind of creates this interesting effect. And I yeah. wanted to, it's it, you know, if you still don't know what I'm talking about. Steven Spielberg pretty much used this most successfully um, early on with Jaws in 1975 when, you know, the, the camera zoom, they do a zoom dolly on, uh, on the sheriff, uh, you know, um, but yeah, it was most famously used there, but here where we've got some, I assume very expensive digital effects that don't look great. versus this very old camera technique which holds up yeah yeah I like that a lot and again it 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 feels very I never once felt like oh you're ripping off Star Wars or oh you're trying to be this other thing like I and again you you feel that when you're watching it like you feel that compression in your chest and it's like ugh. Yeah, it, it, it's almost enough to get you a little bit motion sick. Yeah, a little bit. It's very <laughs> disorienting, which you yeah. know you got to feel. It's got to feel. I imagine faster than light travel right, probably right. feels like that. It makes um, me think of, of Harry Potter and a little bit and how she describes um, apparating. Yes, yes. To to bring it back to Star Wars, I always think I, I'll use the same comparison of puppet yoda versus digital yoda yes oh that's will, so good puppet yoda is so much better <laughs> i will take puppet yoda any day of the week oh, yeah. so much better um to take it into star trek a little bit and i'll go i'll go with newer trek yeah um you can have ships exploding you can have planets exploding you can have all of these things but to see james kirk sitting there with the tissue up his nose bloody yes. he's been punched a lot Yes. And and Bruce Greenwood telling him about his dad and saying, your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved all these people, all these people's lives, including yours. I dare you to do better. Like, I don't need any special effects. I don't need anything else. 
it's so, and you know, even in the sequel, even in the sequel, Benedict Cumberbatch having, mm-hmm. having the discussion of, I will target your ship's power. You will lose yeah. life support. And then I will walk over your cold corpses. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> it's, it's so freaky. Yeah. But, you know, again, those real moments, those practical things, you know, uh, a genuine performance from a fantastic actor yeah. beats special effects all day long. And yep. if you're strictly talking effects, practical in camera almost always beats digital almost always beats digital and i think the balance is figuring out where where the effect and where the acting like where they complement each other as opposed to coming from let's just pull out all the stops and have everything competing with itself right you know it's it's when everything is in tandem and and it's kind of all on the same level i think that's when you really get a powerful piece of of specifically cinema Right. Yeah. But you can, the same can be said for theater to an extent. Well, that's what I was, that's what I was leading up to was you've done a lot of stage work yes. and I've seen, you've got some, you've got some stuff on camera as well. I do. I've got some stuff in the works. Yeah. And I mean, we'll get into it a little, a little bit deeper here in a few minutes, but uh, let's just cut right to it. Yeah. Which do you prefer? Oh, that is, mm, I hate that question. <laughs> Which is why I asked it. <laughs> Um, there is a lot less pressure oh, of, of the film and theater work I've done, right? There's a lot less pressure with film. Okay. Um, because I, I know I get multiple takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if something goes wrong, it's not always my fault. <laughs> Which tells you a lot about my personality. Um, on it, like, honestly, it, for me, it really comes down to the people that I'm working with. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, and, and the, the project itself. If I had to pick one or the other, I think theater is always going to take it for me just because of the, like, I just love a live audience. I mean, that's why I love stand up. I just love a live audience and you Are, never, ever get that with film. That energy, um, that energy is hard yeah. to replace. It's yeah. really tough. I mean, but I have much, so much fun with film. Oh yeah. I, the, the few, the few projects that I've gotten to work on, very few projects I've gotten to work yeah. on. Um, it's always a blast. I really do have a lot of fun and as much fun as I have with the podcast here and it does scratch, it scratches the itch in sure. a very specific way, but stand up stage work. I haven't done, I haven't played anything on stage. Yeah. Since high school, but <laughs> <laughs> the stand up, the stand up stuff, the energy that you get from a crowd yeah. is just different. It's unparalleled. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Well, uh, moving right along, let's get into a couple of the themes that I really wanted to uh, explore with you uh, yeah. just briefly here, because I know we're probably, we're almost at the end of our two hours here. I always talk too long. <laughs> I, you know what? You're in good company. I, I am. <laughs> that's, that's why, look, I, I'm married to a very understanding woman, but she's like, here, here's your microphone. Go talk, go talk Star Trek for a few hours. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, she, she's, she's very kind of very understanding about, about all this, but yeah. Uh, so some of the themes here that I wanted to get into were um, one of the things that was championed about this series as a whole was its diversity, especially yeah. when juxtaposed with earlier versions of Battlestar Galactica, which starred a whole bunch of white people. White dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of white dudes. Um, how did you feel about all the different folks that comprise this unique cast you know you've got adama play yeah. ugh, 
so wonderfully played by Edward James Olmos, a Mexican, uh, yeah. Mexican American actor who's been, like I've said before, killing it for a long time. Yeah. yeah, an icon. Yeah. I think what what I really liked and what I thought about, um, especially after, you know, I watched the first um, episode, I'm so dialed into this right now because this is such a huge conversation happening in the industry with, you know, wanting to cast diversely. And what I really appreciated and what I thought was interesting is it is such a diverse cast, but all of them play people, you know, because there's a, there's a conversation that anytime, you know, a, a person of color is in a Disney movie, they play a dragon or they play, you know, something that becomes something non-human and they're always the sidekick. And right. I love that they, they weren't playing aliens, you know, they were, they were all people human beings or you know yeah. robots but or fine. robots yeah. <laughs> um and the fact that it it just it just happened right and it wasn't to make a political statement it wasn't because it was the conversation and you know happening in 2003 um right. it's just they just cast the right people yeah you know and i i thought it was really really interesting um to see that from something you know 20 years ago i think um the speech that ever james almost gave at the united nations um, after they screened, uh, I forget what they screened, but it was from BSG. Um, and he was on a panel with Mary McDonald, Whoopi Goldberg and, um, Ronald D Moore. And there were a few, there were a few others. Um, that speech that he gave is so, uh, opening, and, um, and, and just wonderful. I still find it incredible, uh, Craig, that we still use the word race as a cultural determinant. To this day, you should have never invited me here. He always says that. <laughs> because I detest what we've done to ourselves. Out of a need to make ourselves different from one another, we've made the word race a way of expressing culture. There's no such thing on all you high school students, bless your hearts for being here. You're a hundred champions right now that are going to go out understanding this. The adults in the room will never understand it. <laughs> Even though they'll nod their heads and say, you're right, they'll never be able to stop using the word race as a cultural determinant. I just heard one of the most prolific statements done by one of the great humanitarians. He's really trying to organize and bring us together and he used the word race as if there is a Latino race an Asian race, an indigenous race, a Caucasian race, or Latino race. There's no such thing as a Latino race. There never has been. There never has been. There never will be. There's only one race, and that's what the show brought out. That is the human race, period. So the other thing that I wanted to uh, talk with you a little bit about was because one of the things that stuck out to me, and we've touched on it a little bit here but I wanted to focus in on it a little bit was the responsibility put on women and the responsibility of these particular women in, yeah. in this very high stakes narrative. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got uh, president R Laura Roslin who the responsibility of the presidency uh, she's got the responsibility of the presidency. And then we've got Starbuck, who's responsible for the death of Adama's son. We've got number six, who's responsible for the attack on Caprica. We've got <laughs> Boomer. Yeah, we've got Boomer, who's responsible for carrying the survivors to the yeah. Galactica. But, you know, all of those, uh, you know, those women, you know, um, 
uh, respectfully, you know, the the responsibility is thrust upon them, or the, yeah. it's the responsibility it's the responsibility that they carry in secret, or you know, it's the it's this responsibility, and we're yeah, and we're yeah. we're relishing in it, or you know, I'm reluctant to do this, you know, especially Boomer, who's just like who doesn't want to leave her partner behind, and right. you know, and all of these things. Um, how do you feel about how the women? are portrayed here with uh, respect to their characters' responsibilities in yeah. the narrative? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, one of the, like, the immediate things I clocked is, like, with the exception of six, these women are not overly sexualized, mm, which I, mm-hmm. like, and they're, you know, they're, you still get, like, your, your romance and all of that, but it, they weren't overly sexualized, and, you know, they, they could have been men. And then the fact that Six is so sexualized, but it's it's not in as much of an objective way. Like I, I thought that this really honored <laughs> femininity on a spectrum, uh-huh. which I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, without again, without it being the conversation of oh, the the feminists are angry again. Guess we got to throw them a bone here. Um, <laughs> and that's something that you know, again, you get you can get into your your erotic pictures, but I do always appreciate the level at which women are utilized in sci-fi in ways that they aren't utilized in other other fandoms you know in other and other nerddoms um so i thought that was really interesting because again it felt it felt just like the diversity it felt very effortless like we just it, it's just it's the right person carrying out what they have to do and they know their job and they and they do their job you know right. woman child whatever you are yeah i th- you know and i've i've said some of this already here in the conversation but i think that the things that stick out to me <clears throat> are uh, President Roslin and not only having the, the presidency thrust upon her, but just taking that into account with this life-threatening illness and yeah. trying to reconcile all of that in her brain and having that very real moment in the laboratory of just, just breathe for a second. Let me just yeah. take a, it's, it's such a real human moment. I feel like that is such a, We've such all been a, there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so relatable. Um, and just, oh, you just feel for her so much in that moment. And it's not in, in the way of like, you know, oh, just, just toughen up, be a man, like suppress it. It's like, I have to deal with this and I have to carry this with me into this next thing, but it can't inhibit it. Like it's still like her, her illness informs what she does, Uh but it's not something that she just constantly pushes away. And even in the scene when she, when she tells, um, Billy. I have cancer. Oh, yeah. she, she's thinking it's awful that I'm even thinking like this. Like that's, yeah. that to me is so inherently feminine, you mm. know, that, that like a woman would be like, I'm dealing with this. <laughs> um, and I feel awful that I'm dealing with this <laughs> on top of everything else. Right. Right. I just, it, it's very powerful. It really is very powerful. And just to piggyback off of what you said about six, um, I, I, to sort of encapsulate it, the way I encapsulate it in my mind is while she's played in a very overly sexual manner, Mm -hmm. I feel like that is more function over fashion. It's she was designed for this very specific purpose, but like right off the bat, we see that she has surpassed that when she's, when she's getting, you know, down and dirty with, with Baltar, you can see there's something going on yeah. behind those eyes. And yeah. it's fascinating to watch her in this performance. And of course, you know, as the series goes on, 
all of these things get expanded upon and quite beautifully by these uh, very talented performers. Um, but here it's really fascinating to watch. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, I hope you did too. It sounds like you did. I really did more, more than I was expecting. Oh, great. Great. Well, let's get into our final thoughts. So, yeah. uh, you know, the big thing that I want to, you know, we've been asking uh, here more recently is, is this essential viewing? And, you know, for a lot of sci-fi nerds, this is a very, it's, it ranks very high in yeah. the, in the, in the lists of fandoms, BSJ, sure. uh, to a point that if you, you know, scroll around for a few minutes on Instagram, you'll find a few people with their Battlestar Galactica cosplay. Like it's still very much a thing. Um, did this, so may this might not be essential viewing, but now that you've viewed the pilot episode, yeah, does this make you want to explore the rest of the series? Because it is very short in, yeah. in comparison to Star Trek. It's only three seasons. Three seasons. Yeah. Um, kind of like I said at the beginning, I'm not, and again, this is just, my like preferred genre you know i'm i'm not itching to start it like i'm not Mm -hmm. gonna log off with you and then go start it but i like i i enjoyed it i've enjoyed being able to speak to it and i absolutely like i'm not i'm not done with it i would be totally open to watching it if we were to do a follow-up episode i wouldn't be like oh jesus i gotta watch four seasons of (laughs) i wouldn't do it begrudgingly if that makes sense like i enjoyed it i would i would 100 recommend it to people um and if someone was like yeah i'm really into battlestar galactica i wouldn't be like (laughs) nerd like I would have been <laughs> prior to uh viewing it because I, I really I think there's a lot here and I and again I like that it's not just something you would set your kids and you know and just have them watch it like you would with Star Wars to an extent yeah I think this is definitely uh you know whereas you can have children sit and watch Star Wars and some versions of Star Trek yeah this is definitely a deeper thing that is meant for a, a deeper analysis a more and different, yeah yeah i mean besides you know some of the content uh, being a little, right, right, right. Right. <laughs> but uh yeah no this is this is for this is this is one for the adults this is so, this gives you something to chew on and it's pretty and it's pretty great it, I it really, like i said i had i i literally finished the first part and like left and got a donut because i was like i gotta like pick myself up here i am sad <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 it hits the ground running and yeah. yeah. yeah it <laughs> and it doesn't give you a lot of room to catch your breath. No, no, it sure doesn't. It sure that's, doesn't. That's my only complaint. I wish there was a little bit more humor. I think if there were, if there like, again, because I value humor and, and comedy is important to me. Mm-hmm. I think that some of my empathy would have come through a little bit more. And I would have cared more for these people. If somebody had cracked a joke once in a while, like yeah. that was, that was the piece of humanity that was missing the most for me is yeah. I did not laugh once. And so like when it ended, I just felt very heavy, which is why I'm not ready to like jump into the, you know, four seasons of it. Right. Right. Cause I mean, all of the, all of the things do get expanded upon. And I think there are some episodes that do feel a bit lighter, but as I'm, as, as some of the heavier moments are coming back to me, I'm like, oh yeah, this is pretty dark as a, as a whole. It's it's very good. It's very good, but it is very dark. heavy you know yeah, like it's not even heavy. terribly dark it's just like oh that it sits with you yeah yeah it sure does um if knowing knowing how many comparisons we made to star trek and star wars yeah would you be opposed 
to coming back and speaking about a new Star Trek series if you were able to start watching it from the beginning. Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. Because a new one's <laughs> about to start. <laughs> I see how it is. I'm getting plugged. <laughs> I, I got to do what I can. I got to look. It. I've got a very lengthy schedule. I got to fill it with some people. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Well, next week we will be joined by Star Trek aficionado, theologian, and author of The Gospel According to Star Trek, the original crew, Mr. Kevin C. Neese, will be here to discuss an episode that, without giving too much away, actually addresses the idea of religious zealots. Uh, so that will be a very interesting discussion, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, that episode is Enterprise Season 3, Episode 12, Chosen Realm, which, of course, is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Christina, where can people see you perform? Yeah, so my next project uh, will actually open the week that this drops. So I am in a play called The Wolves at the Warehouse Theater. It is a soccer drama. Um, it's about an all-girl soccer team. The whole play takes place um, before and after the soccer games. Um, it's definitely nice. a little a little on the heavier side, more of a drama, um, but it's going to be one hell of a show. And me being the uncoordinated person I am uh, gets to kick a soccer ball around. So you should come just to see me do that. Nice. And where can people bother you online? Um, I am at Christina Rose Yossi on Instagram and Twitter. And if you find me there, you will also find my cat uh, who is at the marvelous Mr. Marshall on Instagram. And his account is definitely worth following more than mine. <laughs> and I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in 10 forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?